Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Galatians chapter 5. And let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we humbly come as children to you today to hear you speak through your word and your Holy Spirit who will give us illumination and truth. We want to praise you and thank you that you are our strength, our rock, and you will help us to stand in this liberty, to be the people that you would have us be. So we cast our cares upon you, we trust you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Galatians chapter 5, I've titled this simply, Stand in Liberty. But first I want to go to Matthew. I want to show you again the heart of the Lord. Now it's there in Matthew 11 that he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord says, Come to him, not come to church. That's what we do. We gather together. We are the church. But we come to Jesus. We put ourselves under him. We learn from him. We take his yoke. And he's gentle. And he's humble. And he will teach us how to walk. He will teach us how to stand in that liberty that he's given us. Look with me in Galatians 5. We're going to look at that that first part of that verse. It says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. See, the Lord wants us to stand in that liberty. What Paul is saying is, when Christ has liberated us, that he didn't just set our will free from the bondage of sin, but he also set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. And he describes that the Christian freedom, it's freedom of conscience, freedom from tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep that law, and, and that continual hopeful winning of the favor of God, it is the freedom of acceptance with God and our continual access to God through Christ Jesus. See, freedom consists in a life of trust and faithfulness and love. That life produces good fruit. The fruit is the, the fruit of the Spirit that you find in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. See, Paul is concludes his argument by driving home this issue of freedom that many of his readers understand well from their own personal experiences as slaves. They knew there was essential differences between them and the free masters who had a freedom to own their own property, to schedule their own activities, to earn a living as they saw fit, to spend time as they pleased, living wherever they wished, they appear to be in control of their destiny. Now, for us who are free in Christ in a spiritual sense, 
No one would ever go back and want to be a slave again once they're redeemed and set us free. And that's exactly what Christ has done. Look with me on the screen. Galatians chapter 4, we saw this earlier. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature were no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak, worthless, elementary things to which you desire to be slaved all over again? See, they were backsliding. They were giving up their freedom, their liberty. And that's why Paul was warning them. Warning them how? Not to be entangled with legalism. It's there in verse 5, that next fragment. It says, do not subject again to the yoke of slavery. See, they were once under a slavery of a form, so Paul simply says, don't be entangled all over. The Galatians are to not tolerate no yoke of slavery at all. They're to keep clear of anything of this nature. But why? Galatians 1.4 makes it clear. Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. We have been rescued from this present evil age and set apart for God himself. In fact, Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And that is referring to the cross. But notice there's problems. And this is what they were trying to do is they were mixing law and grace. That's why in verse 2, really he says, there's no benefit from Christ. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ is no benefit to you. See, they were trying to mix and hang on. The Judaizers that were there hadn't yet gained the victory in Galatia. Oh, they were only making him miserable, taunting him and mocking Paul and trying to discredit Paul and draw him away. But the Judaizers wanted them to observe the Jewish feast. Now remember, we're talking about Gentiles here is who they're trying to Judaize. And the Galatians had to be circumcised before they could become a Jew. See, then they would be a Jew, and then they could become a believer. Now, it's in Acts 15, 1. Notice, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's why... As you go on reading in Acts 15 later on your own, you'll find that the leaders of the Church of Jerusalem came together. They came together because they recognized that God had not required the Gentiles to become a Jew in order to be saved. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that circumcision and Christ, they're incompatible with one another. We'll look down at verse 3 for a moment. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under the obligation to keep the whole law. See, 
if they kept that, the Gentiles were circumcised, wanting to become a Jew, thinking they would find favor, they became debtors, and they're obligated to keep that whole law. See, circumcision and keeping the law, they're two integral parts of Judaism. And no one can observe one requirement and dismiss or pick and choose what they want another. You either accept it all or you reject it. But for the, the Gentile, the, the proselyte at what was called at the gate, he was required to offer a gift, then to be baptized and to vow to observe the Mosaic law and to be circumcised. That's what happened to male proselytes. Paul stating that no amount of law-keeping or conformity to any Jewish ways mattered in the eyes of a stricter Jew unless circumcision had been accepted. See, they based everything upon circumcision. Thus, to be circumcised implies an obligation to obey the whole law. Look down at verse 4 in our text. You've been severed from Christ, and you're seeking to be justified by the law, and you've fallen from grace. The legalists, they refused to tell the Galatians that, that by accepting circumcision, it meant they were obligated and they had to obey the whole law. In that case, there was no freedom from the law. So what does it mean, you've fallen from grace? Some have taken it to mean that a person can lose salvation. But when you look at the word severed, here it simply means separated or withdrawn. Fallen from grace here means slipping away from the fellowship of Jesus. Let me show you in Jude 1, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved brethren building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. See, fellowship is essential. It's essential to experience the fullness of God's grace. Sadly, many fail to realize how important it is to stay linked and connected with the brethren within the body of Christ. Jesus makes it very clear because, again, when you're connected to the brethren, you're also connected to Jesus as well. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Fellowship in Christ kindles the fire in our heart, keeps us focused on the priorities that Christ has set before us. Paul emphatically warns his readers not to let go of Christ. His grace by trying to find favor with God through circumcision and the keeping of the law, that's not going to do it, he's saying. Look down again at verse 5. For we, through the Spirit and by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. See, we're going to see the, the privileges of the believers now. See, this marks the key difference between Paul and the Judaizers. 
Paul is assuring the readers of their salvation, and he points them to that future hope of righteousness. Not something maybe, but that for sure hope in Christ. On the other hand, the contrast, the Judaizers still trying to teach them how they can obtain salvation, and they're trying to say that you need to become a Jew first, and circumcision is essential. We'll look down at verse 6. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. One of the privileges is equality in Christ. See, this is a bold statement that was guaranteed to, to really set off those Judaizers. And turning back to Galatians one fourteen, look on the screen. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more zealous for my ancestral traditions, and jumping ahead to Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, notice Paul says he was circumcised on the eighth day. And of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. And then moving down to verse 7 and 8, notice, but whatever things were gained to me, those things that he trusted in, those things that I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. For more than that, I count all these things as loss and view of the value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so I may gain Christ. See, it's all about Christ keeping ourselves in the love of Christ, keeping ourselves centered upon Christ, keeping ourselves in the fellowship of Christ with other believers and sisters and moving along in one heart. Look back down in our text in verse 6 again. He continues with that idea, but faith working through love. See, another privilege is that our works are of faith, and they're through love. This is what it really means. It is this kind of faith that saves us. It's true when we're saved through faith rather than works, but faith is not just a mere intellectual conviction. As if a Christian could do as he wishes as long as he believes properly. No, grace grace doesn't produce some lazy or hazy type of Christianity. Look at James 2, 17 and 18. Even so, faith, if it has no works, it's dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What he's really saying is saving faith is always practical and saving faith always is seen in action. Faith will move you along in love to the glory of the Lord. We'll look at verse 7. It says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, what he's going to focus on next is the, the perils of these false teachers. 
and they are hindering you. Now, what Paul does is use an athletic metaphor in describing the Christian life. He next commends the Galatians for beginning those steps in the Christian race. But he asks the question, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? The Christian life is likened to a marathon, not a hundred-yard dash. Paul wanted the, the Galatians, who began well, to finish the race well. See, ministers have a special responsibility to disciple and nurture those that are young in the Lord, to train them so that they'll be able to, to stay the course and not be deterred by false teachers, not tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine that Ephesians chapter 4 talks about. Again, look at verse 8, because Paul says, This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. No, but from the false teachers is where it came, who persuaded the Galatians to abandon the truth of the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion of Christ. That's what those false teachers were doing. Again, later on in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 and 15, he says, for such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel light. Therefore, if not surprising, if it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And then in Galatians six thirteen, for those who circumcise themselves do not even keep the law themselves but they desire to have you circumcised so they can boast in your flesh, as if they're putting notches on their belt. Well, again, Galatians 5, 9 in our text says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. See, the Jewish people saw yeast as a, a symbol of evil. Every place where leaven and yeast is mentioned in the Bible, it's a type of evil teaching or an evil doctrine or, or an evil practice. In the, in the parable that Jesus spoke of the leaven in Matthew thirteen thirty three, it contains a prophecy of the, the corruption of Christianity. Because there is leaven within the professing church. Not everyone who says they are Christians, are Christians. In fact, Matthew sixteen six says, And Jesus said to them, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Right there in Judaism, they had a leaven. They were deceitful. They were leading the people away from Jesus. Then to Jesus, their own Messiah. Just as there was in Judaism, there are false teachers today. Well, look again in verse 10 in our text. Paul says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you'll adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you, he will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Hmm. Look again at that verse, the word, but the one who is disturbing you, 
it indicates possibly there's one person that's leading these group of agitators. But I also like the point that Paul says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. And that's important because if you see someone in the Lord, you can have confidence in them that they will hear the words of the shepherd as you speak them. Well, look again at verse 11. I'm going to read the Amplified in, in this case. But brethren, if I still preach circumcision, as some accuse me of doing, is necessary to salvation, why am I still suffering persecution? In that the case of the cross has ceased to be a stumbling block as it's made meaningless or done away with. See, as the legalists were disturbing the Galatians, they were also misrepresenting what Paul was really saying and Paul was really doing. If Paul was still preaching that people had to be circumcised, then the offense of the cross would have been removed and would have been removed because the human pride and human effort would return. In other words, there would be no offense. To humble us by declaring that no work of ours can make us righteous before God. Well, for the mind of the Jewish person, Christ's death on the cross symbolized being under a curse. See, the scripture said, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So it was a stumbling block for them. The cross was simply a fence. They shut down. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't think about it. They didn't look back at the scripture to see it was necessary. Daniel talks about the Messiah would be cut off, and that speaks about he had to die. So Paul insisted, however, that to preach circumcision as a means for salvation is validating the keeping of the law and the justification. It will, in fact, nullify the preaching of Christ crucified. In verse 12, it says this, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. They're troubling you, and I wish these, these legalists would mutilate themselves. And that, stop and think, wasn't really literally fulfilled. But rather, what he meant was to stir the Galatians to cut off relations with these legalists. Because it was listening to them, it's entertaining their thoughts. Well, in verse 13, we're going to go through these last verses very quickly because they're very self-explanatory. The thought is really stand in love. This first one, verse 13, for your call to freedom, brethren, do not turn from freedom into an opportunity of the flesh. Man, we need to stand in the freedom, knowing what the truth is. Stand upon the truth and trust in the Lord. Continuing that verse, we, we see that liberty to love because he goes on and says, but through love, serve one another. I love those words, but through love, serve one another. I love the apostle John after he had been on Patmos and, and he would be brought to speak to a group of, of believers and he would lean and he was old and lean against the wall just to, to hold himself up and he says, little ones, love one another. Can you imagine if we just started loving one another? 
loving the world as Christ loved the world, this world would turn be turned right side up. Well, look again at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Our lives need to be filled with love. And you know what I love? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love, in a sense, takes a blanket and covers someone else's sins of not condoning them, but doesn't tell people, doesn't gossip about it, but prays for that person, comes alongside that person, builds that person up by discipling them. But notice in verse 15, Paul finishes, but if you bite and devour one another, Take care that you're not consumed by one another. See, that was the problem. There was an absence of love. And I think that's a, in all of our lives, there's some absence of love. We love ourselves, but we don't love others as we love ourselves. The evidence he's saying here is that you bite and devour. You fight, you divide, you gossip, you find fault. We live destructive lives and we don't even realize it. I like what James Boyce said. I think more damage has been done to the church and its work by gossip and criticism and slander by any other single sin. So I say, don't do it. Bite your tongue before you criticize other Christians. We need to have our lives filled with the love of God and stand in His liberty. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can stand on your truth. We can stand in the liberty that you have given us because you've redeemed us from the curse of the law. And Lord, we are going to trust you and we're going to trust you alone. We're going to reach out and appropriate the faith, the grace to walk through this life and not turn back. And all God's people said, Amen.